Today we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 3. If you want to turn in your Bibles, it's in the Old Testament toward the beginning. We're going to look at verses 1 through 21 as we uh, talk about what it means to hear from God, different ways that we hear from God. Our last series on the Holy Spirit, we discussed the fact that often we attribute divine qualities qualities and characteristics that should only be associated with God, sometimes we associate those with Satan as well. Like sometimes we think that Satan is omniscient, like he knows all things, which he doesn't. Sometimes we act as if he's omnipresent, like he's everywhere at the same time, although he's not. And we discussed in that series as well that we usually have no trouble believing that Satan still speaks. He deceives people, he plants lies rumors, whatever, but we have a hard time believing that God still speaks today. And so in many ways, we attribute more power to the devil than we do to God in that department. And today we want to explore what it means that God still speaks to his people. And some have asked, well, are we elevating experience to the same level as God's word? No, we're not. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But I found a verse this week in Jeremiah 6, verse 19. Listen to what the prophet writes. Um... God is speaking. He says, Hear, O earth, behold, I am bringing disaster on this people, the fruit of their plans, because they have not listened to my words. And as far as my law, they have rejected it as well. It's clear that God is making a distinction between his verbal communication and his written communication. Like he's not limited. He's not limited to just what's written. But he speaks as well. And... I think there's two questions that we should be asking on an increasing basis, and this, this series on identity is kind of bringing these to the forefront. One key question to constantly be asking God is, God, what is it that you want me to know? Every day in every new situation, what is it about this situation or this person that you, need me to, that you want me to know? And then secondly, what do you want me to do about it? Jamie and Donna Winship that are uh, teaching the video portion of this teaching series midweek with the small groups said that that's really what you see in the book of Acts, a, a synopsis of Acts, that the people of God, the early church, were constantly saying, God, what do, what do we need to know? And then what do we need to do about it? And that's a great question for us as we go forward in this series, and especially as we talk about what it means to hear from God. There's an outline for you in the bulletin if you want to take notes, but I want to begin with some filters today because the question becomes, well, how do I know that the voices that I hear or the impressions on my heart or my mind or whatever that communication is, how do I know it's from God and not from just my mind or from the evil one? First filter is, does it line up with Scripture? Does what I think I'm hearing from God line up with Scripture? Because If it doesn't line up with Scripture, you can stop right there. I mean, God would not tell us something that's contrary to His Word. I I remember years ago, in my college group, I had a young fellow who, um, at one period of time, kind of locked himself up for three days and fasted and was, I think, extremely dehydrated and low in electrolytes and stuff, and he, he said he heard from God. And he brought this journal to youth group, this kind of, uh, all of all of his notes, he said, everything we need to know is right here. God spoke to me. This is it. This is the answer. And I'm looking at this, and it wasn't even legible. It was like scribblings. And 
I kind of lovingly and tactfully said, no, I'm sure everything God wants us to know is right here. You know, and God may have revealed some cool stuff to you, but if it doesn't match what he's already given us, then it's, it's not, you know. So first of all, does it line up with scripture? Secondly, does it bring glory to God? Does what I believe that I'm hearing bring glory to God? Because God always wants to point people to himself, to Jesus, to the Holy Spirit, to God the Father, and to bring glory to what he's done and what he's doing. Thirdly, and finally for now, does it motivate me to go deeper in my relationship with God or to make a change? Sometimes God reveals things to us that cause us to go into deeper intimacy with him or to make a a change that needs to be made in our life. So three simple filters. Does it line up with scripture? Does it bring glory to God? And does it motivate me to go deeper in my relationship with God or to make a change? And I want to look at 1 Samuel 3 today as we explore kind of the different ways that I believe that God still speaks today. The background for 1 Samuel is that the book of Samuel is preceded by 300 or so years of Israel's history under the judges, which was marked by political and moral and spiritual anarchy and deterioration. The situation was so desperate and so evil that Eli's sons, Eli was one of the high priests of God and his sons followed in that role under him, his sons had totally apostatized and they were using their priestly office and their authority for personal gain and uh, for very sinful pursuits and and, uh, pleasures. And just when it seemed that the nation would cave in from its own rottenness, God intervened. And he intervened in the life of a woman named Hannah. Hannah was a very godly woman who was barren. She wanted to have children, but she couldn't bear children. And she prayed just persistently to God that God would bless her with a child. And the Lord heard her cries and blessed her with Samuel. And she said, because you have heard my cries, I will dedicate this child to the Lord's work. And so when he was old enough, she took him to the temple then he might serve God all of his life at the temple. And he served under Eli. Well, the book of 1 Samuel opens with the story of Samuel's birth, which took place toward the end of the 12th century B.C., probably around 1120 B.C. And under Samuel's leadership as judge and prophet and priest, God provided a period of rest uh, for his people. And so with that in mind, let's look at 1 Samuel 3, beginning in verse 1. This is what we read. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord before Eli. And word from the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. The Jewish historian Josephus tells us that that Samuel was probably about 12 years of age at this time. Although a lot of commentators and theologians think he was probably more like a young teenager because... In 1 Samuel chapter 17, where we read the story of David and Goliath, the word that's used to describe, the word for boy, the Hebrew word that's used to describe David, it speaks of a young teenager. And so, most likely, Samuel was a young teenager, probably 13, 14, and word from the Lord was rare and infrequent in those days. Verse 2, and it happened at that time as Eli was lying down in his place, now his eyesight had begun to grow dim and he could no longer see well. And the lamp of God had not yet gone out. Samuel was lying down 
in the temple of the Lord as well, where the ark of God was. Now, understand at this time, there was not an official building or temple like you see in Jerusalem today. It was called the Tent of Tabernacle. They, they were moving around different places and they would have tents. And the Holy of Holies was inside of a tent where the Ark of the Covenant was. And Samuel had a tent and Eli had a tent. And so they were close by. And it refers to this lamp of God which had not gone out, which was a golden lampstand in, in, the, in the tabernacle, which was filled with olive oil. And it was lit at twilight, just before evening. And it burned all night. And just as the sun was coming up in the morning, it would be extinguished. And so sometime in the middle of the night, while the lamp was still burning, before it had been extinguished, these events happened. Verse 4. And the Lord called Samuel and said to him, and, and Samuel said, Here I am. Then Samuel ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call you. Go lie down again. So we went and lay down. Verse 6. The Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But Eli answered him and said, I didn't call, my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor had the word of God been yet revealed to him. Interesting statement. Here's a young teenager serving God in the tabernacle, and he doesn't know God personally yet. And it makes me think, you know, how often we can come to church, we can go through the motions, we can do all the right things, but it's not necessarily the same as having a personal relationship with God through Jesus. Something, something to think about. Samuel did not yet know the Lord, because the word had not been revealed to him. Verse 8, so the Lord called Samuel again for the third time. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. Then Eli discerned that the Lord was calling the boy. And Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be that if God calls you, you shall say to him, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Then the Lord came and stood and called out as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. That word in the Hebrew, stood, is a very interesting word. It means to station oneself or to present oneself. And I don't know if God physically stood in Samuel's presence, but the, the atmosphere was, was thick with the Spirit of God as God stationed himself and spoke for the fourth time to Samuel. Verse 11, Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am going to do a thing, literally a word, in Israel, at which both ears and everyone who hears it will tingle or quiver, quake. In that day I will carry out against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I am about to judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knew, because his sons brought a curse on themselves, and he did not rebuke them. Therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So Samuel lay down until morning, and then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, but Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. Then Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Verse 17, What is this word that God spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. May God... Do so to you, and more also, if you hide anything from me of all the words that he spoke to you. So Samuel told Eli everything and hid nothing from him. 
And he said, Eli said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. So Samuel grew up and the Lord was with him. And God let none of his words fail or literally fall to the ground. Verse 20, all Israel from Dan even to Beersheba knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh. Shiloh literally means place of rest. Because the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. There's a lot going on in this passage and it's really a springboard for talking about the different ways that that God speaks. And I'll flesh some of those out later on. But I want to begin by saying, first and foremost, the primary way that God speaks, if you're taking notes on the outline, is through Scripture. First and foremost, God speaks through His Word, the Bible. Deuteronomy 11, 26-28 says, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I am commanding you today, and a curse if you do not listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I am commanding you today by following other gods which you have not yet known. God held his people responsible for his written commands, primarily the Ten Commandments and all of the instructions that went with those. And it wasn't like his people could say, well, we didn't know what you wanted of us because it was written down. And it was recorded for them. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, one of my favorite portions, it says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, he has spoke to us in his son, Jesus, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the world. So yeah, it was God's style a long time ago to speak through prophets and then prophets made that word known to God's people. Now we have those words recorded together in Scripture. And we have what we call the whole counsel of God's will, the complete revelation of Jesus Christ, which tells us God's wisdom and what He wants of us. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20 to 21 reminds us this. He says, But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So we know that these aren't just human words or thoughts, but these are men who were inspired by God, wrote God's thoughts and truth on paper. And that's what we have. So first and foremost, we look to God's word. And I I imagine it's got to be rather insulting to God when we're praying for God to speak to us and to reveal the answer to this and that when he's like, it's right there in my word. If you would just pick it up and read it, you know? Not to say that God does not speak beyond his word, but first and foremost, he speaks through his word. And how often we don't even look at that word to see what he said. There's an old hymn that I grew up on called How Firm a Foundation. And I love the one line that says, what more can he say? Then to you he has said, to you who to Jesus for refuge have fled. Like God saying, what more can I say than what I've already said in Scripture? It's all there. Well, secondly, I believe God in Scripture spoke to people through visions and dreams. It's clear that God spoke through visions and dreams. In Genesis 46, verse 2, 
God spoke to Israel, or Jacob, in a vision at night. In Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 1, Ezekiel says, Now it came about in the thirteenth year, or the fifth day of the fourth month, while I was by the river of Chabar, among the exiles, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. 1 Samuel 28, verse 15, Samuel says to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I'm greatly distressed, for the Philistines are waging war against me, and God has departed from me and no longer answers me, either through prophets or by dreams or visions. Therefore I have called you that you might make known what I should do. God frequently spoke to men of God, prophets, and revealed his will and his truth to them, and they communicated that to the people. I was just going through the Bible briefly, and I There's others, but just listen to the enormity of the times that God spoke through visions and dreams. In Genesis 15, God spoke to Abram, and he promised Abram that he would give him Isaac. Because at the time, you know, he had had Ishmael with the servant, thinking that, oh, God's going to make me a father of many nations, I guess I need to help God. And that wasn't what God had in mind. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God spoke to Nathan. And Nathan told David, no, you're not the one who's going to build a house or a temple for me. Solomon, your son, is going to do that. In Isaiah chapter 6, God spoke through a vision to the prophet Isaiah as he saw that throne room experience. The book of Daniel talks about vision and dream after, after dream. And Daniel is given special knowledge and wisdom from God to interpret those dreams for other people. Obadiah chapter 1, Nahum chapter 1. Habakkuk chapter 2, all of these prophets saw visions of the Lord and what he wanted to communicate to his people. As we turn to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, sees an angel in a vision. And the angel says, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, because the child that she is with has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. She hasn't been sleeping around. She hasn't been unfaithful to you. This child is from God. Take her as your wife. Peter, James, and John in Matthew 17 saw a vision of Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus was transfigured right before them. Zacharias in Luke 1, in a vision, he's told of how God was going to bless he and Elizabeth with John the Baptist and how John the Baptist would be a forerunner to Jesus. The women at the tomb in Luke 24, Luke 24 says that the angel that they saw, they saw in a vision. Who knows if they literally saw or in a vision, but Luke says it was a vision of angels. Peter in Acts chapter 10, he sees the great sheet hanging in the sky and God declares to him that uh, things are not clean that I've declared clean. Paul, numerous times in the book of Acts, the Damascus Road experience, his thorn in the flesh experience where he's caught up to the third heaven. And then Ananias in Acts chapter 9, when and God says to Ananias, I'm going to send a guy named Saul to you. Don't fear him because he's no longer a persecutor of the church, but he's met me personally, and I want you to help him. And finally, the Apostle John, the whole book of Revelation, was the vision that God gave him of things to come. Now, there's other things that I've left out, but numerous, numerous times God spoke to his people through visions and dreams. I've told you many times that there's probably about three times in my life that I've had dreams that I realized later were visions. And pretty powerful. And probably the most powerful one for me was about three and a half years ago. 
when we were on Johnson Drive as a church in a warehouse, and we had been looking for properties that we could purchase and move to for a long time. And, and we kind of had our eyes on this property, and at the time there was an Orthodox Jewish synagogue that was here, and I developed a relationship with that, that rabbi, and they came into desperate times, and so he approached me before anyone else and said, would you like to buy our property, this facility? And as we inquired, we found out that he didn't, the local Shabbat did not own this, but the valley, San Fernando Valley Shabbat owned this. And so we expressed our intent to begin the process of, of trying to raise the money and buy the property, and they assured us that you know we were first in line and all that. I'll never forget the day that I drove... Saw some activity going on here. I drove around to the back parking lot, and the rabbi and his wife, Sarah, were out in back, and they were unloading stuff from the building. And I said, how are things going in the process? What, where are things at? And his face kind of fell, and he said, oh, you, you didn't hear? They, they sold the property. And my heart just went to my throat, like, are you kidding me? Like, I thought we were first in line, and they were going to work with us, and... And right around that time, I had a dream, and, and that night or that week, and in the dream, the elders and I were shaking hands with some Jewish people, and we were like sealing a deal on the property. And it didn't make sense at the time, because I didn't recognize anybody in the dream. I didn't recognize Rabbi Yaakov and Sarah, his wife, or any of the people that I'd met. They were all kind of unrecognizable. And long story short, what ended up happening is the Valley Shabbat could not sell directly to Gentiles. It was against their belief. And so they sold to some investors who ended up selling to us. And so that's why I believe I didn't recognize the people in the dream. But God was giving me an assurance and a peace that, yes, I am in this and I am leading. And it's going to happen because it seemed like, against all odds, it wasn't going to happen. And from that day, I just kind of had this confidence, like, yeah, it's going to happen, even though they tell us it's sold, and I, I don't understand it. But, and that's how it unraveled. And so God speaks many times in visions and dreams. Thirdly, I would say that God speaks through repetition or impressions or promptings. It's interesting in our passage that in verse 8, you know, God called out to Samuel three different times. And it's the fourth time that Samuel talked with him. Repetition. The fourth time he says, speak, Lord, for your servant's listening. After God presents himself, stations himself. Throughout Scripture, we see God working through repetition. He says to Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? God often impresses upon people his truth or what he wants to communicate through repetition. And... It's no small thing when God consistently or repetitively, persistently puts somebody on your heart or mind. I, I've told you the story before, but I, I, my mom was, had this uncanny gift of discernment and many times would follow up with people right at their moment of crisis and like, how do you know that? And she said, oftentimes God will put somebody on your heart or mind and you'll kind of dismiss it and think, oh, that's just me. But then they'll keep coming to your heart or your mind. And it's at those times that your spiritual antennas need to go up like, God, are you trying to say something? And I could exhaust you with the stories over the years where God has brought somebody to my attention that I called or that I visited or what have you. And it was just at that precise moment that and I, I saw that God was in it, and God was leading. And so God often works 
through repetition or through impressions or promptings. I've told you the other story of when I was a youth pastor in Pasadena and one of the things we did with our youth group was we regularly took them inner city to LA and visited the rescue missions and the different ministries there so our kids could get a kind of just a knowledge of how we could partner with the needs right out in our backyard, basically. And this one particular night, we were headed to the rescue mission. It was in the fall, and it was, it was cold outside, and we were in a 15-passenger van, so I had a small youth group and a small little church in Pasadena, and we were making our way, but we were late because of traffic, and I was watching the clock and didn't want to stand them up or make them think that we were blowing them off. And as we were driving, I, I kind of ha- happened to glance out the side window, and I saw a little seven-year-old boy in shorts and no shirt. And mind you, this was in the winter. It was cold out. And he was kneeling down in the gutter and drinking out of the gutter. And right then I felt a prompting, like God said, cancel with the mission. This is your ministry for tonight. And I ignored it. I just kept on going because I thought, you know, i got all these kids that are thinking they're going to the mission. People are expecting us. And I, I, I'll never forget that. You know, God sometimes prompts us and says, hey, change a plan. This is, your new, this is your new ministry. This is the new game plan. And, and we have to be open to those promptings or those impressions. Well, fourthly, I believe God in Scripture speaks through signs and symbols and pictures In Hosea chapter 12, verse 10, God says, I have also spoken to the prophets and gave numerous visions, and through the prophets I gave parables or stories. Think how Jesus would teach in parables, stories that people could visualize and wrap their mind around because it involved things that they were familiar with. I was asking my family this week, what are some ways that God spoke through symbols and signs? And Aubrey said, what about the plagues of Egypt? I'm like, oh, good. Yeah. You know, God's trying to get Pharaoh's attention and the Egyptians' attention and ten different plagues, you know, beginning with and then escalating all the way to the, birth of the, the death of the firstborn to get their attention. It's interesting in Numbers chapter 14, verse 22, God says this, Surely all the men who have seen my glory and my signs, which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not listened to my voice, shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers. And theologian after commentator is scrambling through the Old Testament looking for ten different times that Israel didn't listen to God and and shunned him. And there may be ten specific times that, you know, you can piece those together, or maybe they aren't recorded for us in Scripture, but I thought, at the very least, that could be talking about the plagues of Egypt. The ten different plagues, they saw me act in power, that I was the one true God, you know. And Pharaoh's magicians could copy the devastation, but they couldn't heal it, you know. That was a sign that only God can do that. And yet they saw that, but, and God equated that with listening to my voice. You see my power in action? That's like seeing me talking. And if you ignore that, judgment follows. So that's one picture of signs and symbols. There's also the picture in, of King Hezekiah when he was deathly ill in 2 Kings chapter 20. And he's wondering if he's going to live or not. And so he, he calls 
the prophet Isaiah to himself and he says, you know what, 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 how can God, how can God show me that he's going to let me live? And Isaiah said, well, this will be a sign from the Lord to prove all that he will do as he promised. Would you like the shadow on the sundial to go forward 10 steps or backward 10 steps? And then he says, the shadow always moves forward, Hezekiah replied, so that would be easy. Make it go 10 steps backward instead. So Isaiah the prophet asked the Lord to do this, and he caused the shadow to move 10 steps backward on the sundial of Ahaz. And that was God's way of speaking to Hezekiah that he would live through a sign. Remember the sign of Gideon in Judges chapter 6. He's inquiring of God as to whether the Israelites should go to war and if they're going to win the battle. And he has the fleece, the animal skin. And he prays that God would make it wet on one side in the morning when he wakes up, but then on a different side the next morning when he wakes up. And God did that. We call it Gideon's fleece, the the whole testing God. In in Zechariah chapter 3, verse 8 to 10, Joshua the high priest, he says this, You and your friends who are sitting in front of you indeed are men who are a symbol. For behold, I'm going to bring in my servant the branch. And behold, the stone that I have set before Joshua, on one stone are seven eyes. And behold, I will engrave an inscription on it, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of the land in one day. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine or under his fig tree. God is using Joshua, who's the high priest at that time, and his friends to prefigure Christ's coming. And Christ would remove iniquity in one day. Some see that referring to the cross, when Christ died for our salvation. Some see that as referring to his second coming, when he comes and when all the believing Jewish people at that time rise to become children of God. But God is speaking again through a sign. Daniel chapter 5, King Belshazzar sees the writing on the wall. Literally, there's a hand. All he can see is a hand and nothing else writing on the wall, and it's writing his judgment. That got his attention. And it goes on and on and on, different signs and symbols. I think of the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. And the heavenly host, the angels appear to them and say, Christ has been born this day in Bethlehem. And this is a sign you will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. You know, there weren't a lot of kids that were born in a feeding trough for animals. And that's how they would know how God would guide them to the right one. And then Revelation 12 talks about the heavenly signs and constellations that were going on at Christ's birth. John says in Revelation 12, 1 and 2, A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. If you've never watched it, get a copy of The Star of Bethlehem. You can get it through Amazon or online. It's a short 45-minute documentary of all that was happening in the heavens at Christ's birth and how the stars and the heavenly constellations were telling the story of Scripture and of Christ. It's just powerful, awesome stuff. But God spoke through many signs and symbols and pictures. Finally, fifthly, although there may be other things, but people and wise, wise counsel. God speaks through people and wise counsel. I think of the story in Exodus 18 where Moses is judging the people and they're waiting in line 
for his advice and his wisdom from early in the morning to late at night. And Moses' father-in-law says, why are you wearing yourself out? Pick 70 other leaders that can judge with you and counsel the people so that you won't kill yourself. And God spoke through the wise counsel of Moses' father-in-law. Exodus 33 says that God used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to a friend. So there were times where God actually had face to face with people. Pretty amazing. I think of Nathan the prophet. God spoke to Nathan and Nathan spoke to David in his adultery with Bathsheba and said, you're the guy. You know that story I told you? You're the, you're the point of that story. The angel Gabriel appeared to Mary in Luke chapter 1. Paul on the Damascus Road in Acts 9 met Jesus. He said, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who? Said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. So there were a lot of people, actual people, be it angels or, or heavenly appearances, that brought God's word and counsel as well. I want to just draw some practical conclusion here, some application. There's a lot here, but hopefully you can write these references down and then look it up during the week. And just consider and reflect on all the different ways that God speaks. But as we close, I would challenge you with practice listening. Brittany talked about that, listening prayer. Practice listening to God, not just coming before God in prayer and dumping all of your requests on Him, but practice listening. God, what is it you want me to know? And what should I do about it? If you're not expecting God to talk, you're not going to hear Him. Chances are you're not going to hear Him. He can do whatever He wants. But practice listening. Secondly, remember that God has His own timing. Remember that God doesn't work on our time scale. Donna Winship in that midweek teaching time for small groups says that the first time she prayed that prayer, she had been a Christian 20 years and had never prayed that prayer. And the first time she said, God, what do you want me to know? She was flooded with just all this stuff. The first time I prayed that prayer, nothing. It was a month and a half later that I heard what God wanted. So you know what? Be patient. God doesn't work on our timetable. And while you're waiting, persist in faith and remain obedient. Persist in faith. Don't ever give up believing that God loves you and that he wants to communicate to you. And remain obedient. When we're living in a place of sin, sometimes that keeps us from hearing God or seeing God because we're like looking through a dirty windshield. And then finally, keep searching Scripture. Keep searching Scripture because chances are some of the answers that we're looking for, God's already communicated in his word. We just haven't bothered looking. And so keep probing the scriptures for what God would say to you in the process. As we continue in this series on identity, listening to God is going to be key. Believing that God still speaks, and in many different ways. But it's always going to line up with scripture. It's not going to be contradictory to scripture. If it's God talking, it's always going to be something that brings glory to Him. And chances are it's going to be something that drives you into deeper relationship with Him. Let's pray.